Do you have a minute to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Uh, coming, Mom. Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic guys podcast of which we are the worst. I am Eddie. And I'm Alec. So today we are doing something a little bit different. This is kind of like a segment we've been talking about doing where we don't really have a name for it. Uh, Think Tank or Sinner's One Take or uh, whatever you want. It's basically the idea that this we have a, a topic that doesn't really have like a definitive answer. A lot of our topics we're very confident in what we have to say because we value our opinions so much (laughs) and this is kind of like a there's some gray area in here we're trying to navigate and so it's kind of just going to be a discussion of bouncing ideas off of each other and seeing what comes up if any of you guys are listening and have thoughts on this go ahead and you could email us you could message us on instagram or twitter or whatever it is that you want but uh, i would love to hear your guys's thoughts on any of this because this is i think a very pressing issue that we have as people who are practicing in the faith, and it's uh, it's a difficult one to t- tackle. So we're just going to kind of wrestle with it for a little bit. And it really varies so much case to case. And as, I mean, the title gives away, it's we're going to talk about evangelization, where your specific relationship with that person varies so much. So we can talk about generalities, and there is a lot of ground that we can cover for that. But again, there's not a one-size-fits-all for it, so we're just going to kind of talk about our experience in general, things that we have found to be consistent. Our comments, questions, and concerns. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we're going to be talking about evangelization, and the whole idea, I mean, it's very important. Actually, it's almost like we should have done an episode on leading with love, because I know that's on our episode list to do before we did this one because but uh you know obviously the importance of leading with love in whenever you're expressing the gospel but there is that kind of weird area where it's how much leading with love is ineffective when are you starting to enable their bad behaviors you know you don't want to just go to a bar stand up on the bar table and go hey have you would you have a second to talk about our (laughs) lord and savior jesus christ but at the same time you don't want to just be condoning bad behavior so when did, when do you need to cross that line in t- from love to formation or is there a clear-cut line we don't know my first thought is about we're going to define love as willing the good of the other so it is an act of the will so we can say that the way we're talking about leading with love is how it's used colloquially where it's a little more fluffy and sweet and not necessarily the exact catholic definition that we use because you could argue that not enabling someone might not be the fluffy definition of love, but it is still willing their good. Yeah, let's just get it out of the way right now, the G.K. Chesterton quote for the episode. Uh, <laughs> check that box. Check that box. It's um, where he's in, I, th- it's, I believe it's in orthodoxy as well, where he talks about the friendship of an acquaintance or a friend versus the love of a spouse. And he says, if a person's friends, uh, he might use the word acquaintance, I don't really remember, he says, like, a person's friend or acquaintance likes you for who you are, while your spouse loves you and never stops trying to change you. The idea that, like, it's always the desire to... Have I even, have I said this in a previous episode? I don't think so. Oh, I, I just said I know it. we've I talked just, about I it. I just but... talked... I just gave a talk to at faculty staff retreat, and I used this quote. So, but yeah, it's that's the Double idea. Double dipping. Double dipping. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, less than a week ago, so <laughs> twice in the same week. The idea that if you love something, you want to change them. So enabling in, is not necessarily And we loving. could use change. We could substitute that with grow or... Or change. Encourage. Encourage. <laughs> Develop. I, think, I mean, I think there's a foster. connotation with change where typically when we talk about a relationship, that's a major bone of contention. Do people really change? And then are we trying to change people or are we loving them is why I made that comment. I'm not saying you can change him because people don't really change. I'm just saying that love, of course, is powerful and strange. Whoa. Did you just write that? (laughs) Uh, That's from Frozen, if any of you guys were unaware. Mm, Good. Credit. Credit Credit. to them. (laughs) Credit to them. Uh, Sponsor. (laughs) So... Yeah. What about, what about, so Alec, as you were, you've been, you were kind of away from the faith for a, a little while. What was your experience with this? Yeah. I, I love that we're never going to do an actual episode on it, but I'm going to keep alluding to it and saying 
that we'll do a full episode because the, the real story just doesn't live up to the hype yeah. you know it's been <laughs> how did that, how did alec become catholic it's when i if you ever actually do an episode it's gonna be it's just gonna be a letdown yeah <laughs> well so for me i went as i was transferring from community college to a four-year i in between went to germany to go try and play soccer long and short of it is ended up coming home and it wasn't two weeks later where I went to this event at our church. Oktoberfest bingo. Oktoberfest bingo. <laughs> or when I play, it's called Oktoberfest not bingo. <laughs> <laughs> Oktoberfest four in a row, never five. <laughs> and that's where I was introduced by one of my friends from high school to Eddie and our whole group of friends that were participating in ministry at the church. And I remember the the first night I got there and I was meeting everyone and Eddie said, I'm going to be friends with this guy. And I was like, all right, beardy, we'll see about that. The thing is, I don't remember that for the record. I remember that. <laughs> he doesn't realize that I say that to everybody I meet. <laughs> so I met them. From then, it was 10 months from that day until I went back to confession for the first time. So for me, it was 10 months of being surrounded by maybe a dozen, depending on how loosely you draw the lines, devout Catholics that were my same age, living less than half a mile from the parish. And it was a plenty vibrant parish where I was already searching for these things. So I was kind of like the best case scenario in terms of someone to whom you would want to evangelize. And it still took me 10 months. And over those 10 months, it was never with this group. It was never, you can hang out with us if you become Catholic. It, it wasn't, hey, come to mass with us. It was, if you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you over and over and over that they just kept extending that invitation. And I wasn't ready. The first thing that I ended up coming back to was an XLT Definitely some good memories of that night, but talking about leading with love, it was 10 months of just patiently answering my questions, patiently inviting me to things, not pushing me or judging me, or most of all, not condemning me for not following along. Yeah, and I think it's it is it's an interesting, you know, Alec can't toot his horn too much but he really was like the best case scenario he he like he said but it's difficult because he wasn't he i mean for lack of a word he was a good person and uh he spent a lot of time studying philosophy he spent a lot of time looking into religion because there was you know there was a desire that was there and he as john the baptist said made straight the paths once whether he was aware of it or not so it's difficult because we weren't really correcting too many bad behaviors. And that's, again, not what it's about. It sounds so like robotic like that. It's like, all right, now we got to correct this bad behavior yeah. or whatever it is. And we got to put the blocks together so that he becomes whatever. That's not, obviously that's not the way it is. But if you, it wasn't like he was going out and getting drunk every night and, you know, sleeping around and struggling with real, I mean, everyone struggles with real sin, but so <laughs> it was your lifestyle. Yeah. Major life, his lifestyle, he lived a Catholic lifestyle, whether or not he was Catholic, essentially. Beside, minus the, the regular reception of the sacraments, he was living a Catholic lifestyle and thought, for the most part, like a devout Catholic does. So it was, it was easy to be patient with him because and he, he was asking the right questions. So he would ask questions or you would ask questions. Who am I supposed to be talking to right now? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why we went down this route. But you were asking important questions. So it's difficult to, to really navigate this because... Sometimes it's just not the case. Uh, if Alec showed up to hang out with me and my friends and he was doing things that I did not necessarily agree with, would our conversations have been different? Would we had been friends? You know, I'm trying to think of like, what's just like ridiculous. And like, if he showed up high on cocaine every single time he came to hang out with us, I probably would not have approached things the same way. Or, and now obviously we can, and that's an obvious case. And so we're kind of, that's like, there's the two extremes, but there's a whole lot of gray space in between that where, what do you do and how do you approach that? The other thing is, 
it is also about from whom the information is coming because I could have heard all the same things that Eddie and everyone else was saying, but if I was hearing it from maybe if it was someone older or someone I didn't know or someone with whom I wasn't also sharing in community with, it might not have come across the same. So really evaluating how can I connect with this person? And that's why it's, or when we talk about, I was just today, so we went to our, one of our priests went to Disneyland. So I went uh, with him, showed him around a little bit. And we were talking as we walked in about, there's a Jehovah's Witness table as you walk in. Yeah, how do they get, how do we get a sinner's take table out there? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but that's, that's what we were talking about. How much good is done just sitting there because it is available for people to come to and then also going and knocking on doors what kind of relationship do you have with the person who knocks on your door and what are you really receptive to from someone just showing up to your door yeah honestly i would love to see i mean i have a lot of respect for how i don't know enough about the inner workings of the mormon church but at least in the fact that they everybody is required to do two years of mission and i think about all the time like how amazing the catholic faith would be if we could with the resources that we have and like you could do mission in any type you know hospital uh nursing home school uh uh, orphanage whatever you want we have them in every in every country so there would be options and with the amount of catholics and it would obviously do people come back on fire for their for their faith but i'd be interested to see how successful i want to like see numbers of like how many people who are not the doors are knocked on do eventually find their way to the Mormon faith or the Jehovah's witness faith. And what would it be like if Catholics did that? And it's tough because I mean, at least from objection, circumstantial, uh, (laughs) all the people who I know who have converted to Mormonism, it's usually been through marriage Mm -hmm. where they found a Mormon spouse and married them and became Mormon. I personally know, and I know several Mormons, but I personally know none who converted to the faith for a reason that was, not saying they converted because of marriage, but d- did not also marry a Mormon, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. They converted while they were single and stayed Mormon. And I I don't know the, how to navigate that with, but I'd be interested to see the actual numbers of like how many, if you do a two-year mission knocking on doors, how many people do you get to become Mormon? First thought is one of two things. Either it does work, whether or not we're hearing about it, or it's for the purpose, like you're saying, people come back on fire for their faith. Yeah. It's for the purpose of those going and knocking and not the people who are opening the doors. Yeah. My thought is it could also be like those Chevy commercials and see, they made it onto our podcast, son of a gun. But everyone with whom I've spoken about those commercials hates them. And they love to say, I will never buy a Chevy because those commercials, real people, not actors. Sure. But it must be working or else they would, it wouldn't be going on this long. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's also, I remember learning about in one of my psych classes, it's called the mere exposure effect. The more you're exposed to something, the higher your opinion is of it, to put it in one sentence. So you might be annoyed by those commercials, but it does still have an effect on your opinion of that brand. So it might be the same for going and knocking on doors. Being exposed to it so much is still better than not knowing what it is. Even if nobody converts, I still have tremendous respect for the fact that they do it. And there's fruit that comes from, even if it is just the fruit of the people who are coming back, don't want to take anything away from them. I would just be interested to see the actual numbers of it so we could figure it out. And I highly doubt that those are out there. It does matter who, who it's coming from. And I think another important thing too is because, you know, we got to look at the life of Jesus, obviously, when we're thinking of these things, because we talk about leading with love. And like you said, we mean that in a colloquial way, leading with kindness almost, which is very important. Jesus leads with kindness when he talks to people. Like it's usually, he's very to the point and very challenging, but he's not like a jerk about it, uh, except for when he's talking to the Pharisees in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where he just like rips them for three chapters. <laughs> and it's honestly, if you haven't actually sat, because you hear them all the time like broken up. But we're doing the Bible in a year right now. And I remember just like for like six days in a row, it was just Jesus just ripping into the Pharisees. <laughs> like one after another after another. Boom, and roasted. It, it really is what it felt like. <laughs> for you are wrong because you are ignorant and you know not the power of God. Boom, roasted. <laughs> uh, but 
Jesus doesn't lead with love for like a really long time. Like you said, Alec, you took 10 months. Jesus would have been out, uh, out of there, <laughs> you know, like he, cause he leads with kindness and then gives them the truth. But again, he was on a time crunch, True. you could say, but he like gives them and he lets people walk away as he say, that's the, the, the young man turn away sad. We don't know. There's, there is, you know, some, some people believe by lowercase T tradition that he, that young man, the young rich man who turned away sad eventually did come to the faith because of the seed that Jesus planted. So it's difficult because we kind of stretch that out really long for us. We'll be like, I'll lead with love for two years. And sometimes that can kind of transition into, I'm just kind of being a coward because I don't want to have the conversation with somebody. And so where that's another, where do we draw that line? It's hard to tell someone that they're wrong and on what authority do I think that I'm right? It's on an authority that they might not believe in. So what am I standing on? And that's a hard gap to bridge. Yeah. Then that's the whole model of discipleship is Jesus says, go out in pairs of two. And if you say what you got to say to them, and if they, if they say no, leave, shake the dust off your sandals and move on to the next place. Yeah. And that's getting into, we propose, we don't impose. Yeah. It's not like the disciples say like, well, I got to stick around for, for years to make sure that this person preaches the God or accepts the gospel. Cause there's some people who like, it just isn't going to happen with, you know, there's people who just don't have the spiritual awareness or they're just not open to it. They have walls up in their heart that they, no matter what you throw at them. And we almost kind of put the pressure on ourselves and not in like a bad way. We, like, no, definitely in a bad way. Not in a, we put the pressure on ourselves, not in like a, I don't want to let God down. It's I want to be good. I want to win. I want to win. Yeah. It's, we put the pressure on ourselves to win, not to disappoint God. Mm -hmm. Uh, we say like, if I had recommended the right book or if I had said this thing instead of that thing, or if I, as if it's in our power. Yeah. And which obviously we know is a problem uh, because people, like I said, people turned away from Jesus. Sad. People are going to turn away from you. Sad. And me sad, me sad. (laughs) (laughs) And what is the right thing to do in these situations? And I, I honestly, it, it's it's tough because the, the other thing though too is we're just kind of opening a whole bunch of cans of worms right now yeah. and then hopefully we'll kind of narrow them down as we go. But the culture is different now though at the same time because there's it's it's interesting when you look at, you can tell, I forget who the theologian talks about, but it's about like you can tell a lot about more about the mindset of people by what is not said in old writings than what is said, for example. So if you look at the church fathers, they never argued about, you know, they, they never refute many of the things that are being refuted now, like the true presence of the Eucharist. They don't talk about it too much or, you know, respecting Mary because those are new. Those are kind of new objections to the faith. Everyone just kind of accepted that. There isn't a whole lot of church fathers that talk about the proofs of God existence like Aquinas does, but his five proofs are very short. Like he barely talks about them because he didn't need to prove that God existed because people believed that God existed. And that's not really the case anymore. So whereas it wasn't that hard of a jump to say, like, if you believe in God and are practicing some sort of faith, like in the ancient times, and you have a good understanding of sin in that, you know, we need to turn from sinful ways in one way or another, it's easy to open that door and say, like, you should consider this right off the bat and they'd be more open to hearing it. But if I come, if I approach somebody and say like you are a sinful way, you live in sinful ways, and they don't believe in sin, they they will immediately dismiss you. So I do mm-hmm. think there is, there has to be a difference, right? There has to be. I don't know. Do you think that by that kind of thought process, it's easier for someone who is, let's say, a Protestant, to become a Catholic versus someone who is an atheist? I think. St- statistically probably not right i mean just like i i feel because once you get culture into it and family situations and it's really hard to like especially with some people who are are protestant like who are converts from being protestant to catholic a lot of times their families are not on board and they have to cut ties with families they have to cut ties with friends and a lot of people just if we don't could do remove it. that would you think though the idea that you believe not only just in a God, but in a Christian God, would it be an easier jump, you think? Or is it almost easier to come from a blank slate rather than erasing or modifying what you already have? Uh, probably easier. 
I imagine. I don't even know though. And the other thing too is we're not really even necessarily talking about converting to Catholicism. We're really talking about, I think, in this context, more so like sinful ways, turning from those where like not believing in God or believing in God. So that yeah, that's tough. One of the interesting things is the similarities with rehab. People who are recovering from addictions. We should do we should do a whole episode on that because there really is a lot and it is so God focused. And the idea that the people who have successfully gone through rehab will talk about you know, the idea you, you can lead a horse to water, so to speak, but you can't make it drink. People have to want it. And that's why so many people go through rehab four, five times, however many it takes, where it's not that the first time they were in rehab, people were not helping them properly, but they it's might the same have just, process. Yeah, they, they weren't in a place to accept it. And that it is steps at a time where things like in Alcoholics Anonymous, you have to humble yourself before you can really get going. So you get in a uh, group, you get in a meeting, and before you can accept that capital G God is in charge and you're not, I'm trying to, you know, really simplify it. If you can't get there, one of the things that the group tries to do is see if you will believe in the acronym G-O-D, the group of drunks around you who have gone through it before and are telling you from their experience and things. So just to see if you can let go of you being in charge, even just a small step of trusting the people around you who have gone through it, and then after that, seeing if you can be exposed to the fruits of following these ways, and then you can start to try and take bigger bites of what's really going on. And I think the same thing in the faith, where you can lead with love and lead with the smaller things that are a little more palatable, I guess, so to speak. Because if you're leading with someone, telling them, like you're saying, telling them they're living a sinful life, if they acknowledge that, it places demands on them. Now I have to stop doing this thing that I love doing. I have to start doing these things that, as of right now, I don't want to do. So that is going to be just ideologically less appealing than showing this is what a joyful life looks like. Are you interested? And they might not be. But I think that's what you're saying. At that point, not belaboring it and saying, okay, I've planted this seed. And I like to even just keep it written down the last conversations that I've had with people about the faith so that if it ever comes up again, I kind of know where we left off and I know where they're at so that we can pick it up and keep moving. Cause that I think is a lot of, there's only so much getting in physical shape. You, you're not going to train to run a marathon in a day. It's going to take a long time and a lot of discrete as in separate occasions of making progress. There's a lot there. Even just, yeah, we do. We should do an episode on just like the recovery process and how similar it is to really the spiritual life. And I think, like you said, it, you, there comes a point where you have to want it. I think that's why there's so much, I mean, there's so much emphasis on the faith. Like if someone says no, like move on to the next person because the, the idea being, I mean, especially for the early church where like they don't have time or resources to invest <laughs> 100% decent person but if yeah if they're not if you they're not open to it in any way you're better off leaving and letting them work through these issues because even your presence there might make it worse like it might just build up the wall like this per, your persistence in the matter might turn them off to it more you know it's like it's like if you are in terrible shape and your friend is in terrible shape and your friend gets super into shape and they keep talking to you about it it may make you want to get into shape less Maybe it'll motivate you, but uh, it could just be like, okay, dude, I get it. Like you're you're in shape now, or whatever. <laughs> so it's they have there has to be that desire in you, and this is the big thing: is this there's a huge pride piece here, and when in evangelization, where it's we want to play the savior of everybody else, and obviously we know that we are not saviors. God alone is the savior. Christ alone died for everybody, and He is the one who converts people. We may be His instrument, and sometimes it's better in the case where you maybe maybe it's better for them if they don't convert right now we don't know i mean obviously 
it'd be great if they did or in convert to their convert away from their ways but maybe god has something more like maybe if in this moment they say yes to you it's going to mean that they fall away some other for some other reason maybe their heart will say yes for the wrong reason maybe the person thinks you're cute and they're just saying yes and they go down and their whole faith is founded on this i said yes because i thought this guy was cute and then you guys aren't friends anymore or the relationship doesn't work out and then they fall away again we don't know those kinds of things and so yeah, you may have to turn away from them and let them go, but it's not like, a, well, they're going to hell now. Yeah, it's not abandoning them. Mm-hmm. It's understanding that they're not in a place to accept it, but still being around the corner, so to speak, where if they ask some kind of searching question or if you can be that face of God in their life, you're still there for it. You're just not being so pushy, I guess. And this is, I think, the big thing, for me is what's the most effective way to evangelize it has to be lifestyle it's you the life that you live is attractive to others through the friendships that you have through the confidence that you have in salvation cuz so you know that that changes your attitude towards things the way that you talk to waitresses and waiters the way that you interact with strangers the way that you love each other the way that you're at dinner with each other and you guys laugh and have a good time how you deal with difficult times. How you spe- Yeah, especially how you deal with difficult times. Th- that will be what's attractive and they'll want to, you know, they'll want to know how you got to that point and there's the easy the easy way in. But if you're not living an attractive lifestyle, like if you if your friendships are shallow, if you don't live joy in your heart, then why would anybody ever, especially when they don't even believe in God? Like I said, this is why it's so. This is why this time period is a little bit different than I think any time period before, because we have so many people who are denying the existence of God. Why would they follow God if, when they see the fruits that it produces, and it's not more joy? Because I know plenty of people who are secular, who have no faith, who are way more welcoming than some of the people I do recognize in the faith. So they're like, I feel like I'm a better person than this person. So why would I do what they are doing? Yeah. And- so much of it is motivated by what am I getting out of it? And so if I already think that I'm better, why would I go do something that's going to demand something of me? Yeah. So where does that leave us, though? Well, also, I want to, I I have a thought on getting through to certain people. Some people, it's going to make sense in their head, but not in their heart. Some it's going to make sense in their heart and not in their head. Some maybe neither, some maybe both, but they still just can't get there. But the way you're presenting it might not be the way that they need to hear it. I think I've talked about this before, but I ha- we have uh, a couple friends who, the way I think about it is at the end of Mass, when they say, go forth and proclaim the gospel by your life, something to that effect. I pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are some people who just by their kindness and their joy are proclaiming the gospel And that might be more effective for some people to hear, but other people might be just saying, I do not understand transubstantiation. I don't get the Eucharist. And that might be a more academic discussion that is what's holding them back. And like we've talked about, you don't get to ignore those things, but it might not be the best way that you can evangelize. So you might point them in another direction, or it might just be not for you to lend that plane yeah. So the the question, it raises the question, when are you enabling bad behavior? Who can you be friends with? Because you don't want to just give ultimatums. Yeah, you can't you can't just say, "Hey, I'm only going to be your friend if you do this," but you also can't just say like it's fine, like do whatever you want, like I've got my thing. I mean, I think a a clear-cut line for sure is if it ever fall and this is obvious, but just to get us a starting point is if uh, action is being demanded of you that goes against morality obviously things have gone too far you know you you can be in the world not of the world so you can go to a bar and hang out with people but if like this person's only going to let you talk to you about the faith if you take 10 shots of tequila with them it's probably not the best situation so i think that that's obviously ground zero right there is if something is being demanded of you that is not morally accurate or morally good you probably need to stand up for yourself. And I think that even goes a long way where you can say, I love you. I can't participate in this with you. And then they, that might have more an effect of them realizing, well, why, 
should I also not be doing this or something like that? And it might not, but just that idea of I'm not just abandoning you. I'm not looking down on you, but I can't participate in that. I think something that is kind of sticking out in my, my head is how good of friendships do you really have? Like how good of friends are you with this person? What kind of friendship are you leading with this person? If these kind of things never come up in conversation, if you are living one way and they're living another, that it's that drastic that you're going to be at odds with each other. You don't discuss deeper things. Cause if anybody comes to me and wants to pick my brain or take a look through my heart, and we get into a conversation, the faith is going to come up, right? Anybody who's ever had a heart-to-heart with me knows that. So if this person you are friends with and you've never, it's never come up, then what, then you're not, you must not be friends with them. Well, yeah, surface level friendship. Yeah. So I feel like in the friendships, at least it is, you build that relationship. But then when the time comes, is I do think you there is a necessity to stand your ground and to be, not cowardly this is you know that this is like a super harsh word sometimes but i do think if you know you're worried about like oh i don't want to turn them off to it yeah well they're they might be turned off to it and they might not want to be your friend anymore but that's that's the difficulty of it and i you know i definitely had conversations go south for the winter what what do you do in those situations but we it can't just be like you know, I've been friends with this person for two years and like one more month and their, their hearts will open up. I can just, I can just feel it's like, you're just kicking the can down the road, man. It's so, it's so hard though, because you feel like you'll lose them. It's the idea that like, if I don't do this, if I don't, if I, if I fail this, if I don't get the gospel through to them, they're doomed. And that's just, that's not, that's a prideful mentality and it's not a correct mentality. Uh, and you know, we can never underestimate the power of just simple prayer for somebody but we don't want to be cowards in the faith. Jesus was very to the point with what he said. If there was something that was going on, he made it clear. He said, "This is you are doing this and this and this wrong. I don't condemn you. Look at the woman at the well. I, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. That's, I mean, that's pretty much the biggest demand you could ever put on somebody. <laughs> go and sin no more. <laughs> it's also respecting the other person because it's saying, I'm trusting that what you're doing is something you stand by what you're doing. So I'm going to bring up why I might disagree. And then at least in theory, one of two things should happen. Either they can defend their position enough where they're okay with it, or they can't. And then necessity would say that they change their mind or their action, which it might not be. You know, there's certainly times where people will admit they're wrong, but just not want to change. But the idea being we should be holding each other to a high standard where I want you to stand by your actions. You know, there's a Eddie and I, we, and some friends play in a soccer league and there was, it was in the final of the Mm. season. And I got into it with the ref over a discrepancy in the rule there. It's a small sided league where there's no sliding allowed and someone slid to block the goal. And I was getting into it with the ref where There's no sliding because it's dangerous. And he said, it wasn't dangerous. There's no one around. And then after the game, I told Eddie, I said, I know you're not proud of the way I went about that. He said, yeah, you weren't going about that respectfully. I knew, and it was like in that moment where I was talking to the ref, there was a part of me that was like, this isn't the best way to go about it. And I could hear Eddie. I was like, he's going to talk to me later. (laughs) But it's that idea where he's set up a relationship with me where he is holding me to a higher standard where even if what i did was not bad but you know because neutral. there's also validity in the fact that the rule is inconsistent and needed it needed like it's either we can slide or we can't slide right and i mean you were being pretty annoying about it because he was basically you can envision it he was standing next to the ref it was like he was like if there's no one around and he's like okay so he like you got he got really close <laughs> up to the face of the ref and was like okay so from this far can't slide and he's like nope and i said you took like one little step back like this far he's like nope took another step back this far <laughs> and it was i mean it wasn't wrong it was a correct and the thing is the problem is either you can slide or you can't slide and it wasn't the final of a game and the guy stopped the goal by sliding there were players around not super close it wasn't an immediate danger but like where do you draw the line if not so i mean that's no one really cares about this part of the conversation yeah. <laughs> so we could probably leave it uh the point being that th- there was definitely truth in what he was saying 
And you want to hold the ref accountable to that too, you know? Right. But to really circle back the idea that we want to keep our friends acting in the best way possible. And we want to stand by our actions as something of which we're proud. I think I talk about this and this is, you know, a bit of a tangent, but when I'm coaching, I am very, I do not like when players refer to it as snitching or, you know, I'm, I'm never going to tell on my brothers. No, if they're doing something wrong, then you're not their brothers. Yeah. If they're doing something wrong, they should be held accountable. And so it's stuff like that, where if someone misses practice and tells me he's sick and then his teammate tells me actually he was out, he just skipped practice to go hang out with a girl, that's a problem. Or he skipped practice to go and smoke weed, that's a problem. His priorities aren't... Go to practice and smoke weed. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But the idea that if we're proud of our actions, we don't have to lie about them. And if something we're doing is causing us to lie, we should probably reevaluate that. So holding each other to a standard of being better yeah because i mean this is this is obvious like if you don't do that in those little situations like if you think that this guy is your best friend you call him your brother and you're not going to say that he's skipping practice for a dumb reason for a bad reason what are you gonna do when he cheats on his wife like they say i'll never tell my brother i was like really you're gonna tell me that you know you wouldn't say something if he was cheating on his wife no never it's like what if he murdered somebody what if he murdered your sister you wouldn't gonna tell the police what if he murdered your wife what if, you know, and take, you know, these sins can get darker and darker and darker until at some point they're probably going to say, yeah, I would tell on them. It was like, okay, why? Because you want that you, there's justice piece and there's a, you want him to be better than he is. So you need to do it all the time because you can't just flip the switch in the most, that's one of the greatest fallacies of, I think our generation is we think that, you know, everybody always thinks that they're better than where they're at in life. They think, you know, if I, this, I, I use the example of like soccer coaches, like if they, all, all my problem with club soccer in America is every club co- soccer coach thinks they're better than the job that they have. Yeah. And they're like, oh, if I, if I coach that team, like I'd be so much, like I'd be best. Like, well, I see the way you run your practices right now and it's terrible. So you're not going to, but then, and that's just the way it is. Everyone thinks that like they're saving it for oh, when it counts. Yeah. And that's ridiculous. Run your practices with a really bad, with a recreational soccer team. Well, and then you'll run your practice as well with really good soccer players. If you can't, you can't just say like, I would never do that. And I would never tell on my brother until it was ridiculously hot. And you know, you're just, you're going to cower it out of that as well. Because I mean, and this is all for people who we know and have relationship with. And I think there's also, it's important to, what about like strangers and people who you don't know who this is the only, this is your only chance. Like you're not going to have relationship with them. I do think so much of it, if you have a conversation with them, like, I'm not saying you need to go. I think there's a line between, you know, you don't go to the, like we said, just get on top of a bar table and say, okay, any of you guys interested in hearing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because everybody would be turned off to that. But I am actually a big proponent of bar ministry. I think it is pretty, I mean, as long, provided the people aren't super intoxicated where nothing is productive, but the idea of like going to a bar and you're at a table and there's people next to you at a table and you strike up a conversation and it leads into good, good conversation. That I think is some of the most effective ministry times. And I think more people should go to bars with the intention of bar ministry. But I, I know that that's always kind of on the table for me when I, when I go to bars and there's, there's sometimes where it's, when it's like, I don't really want to do anything today, but I mean, I have an easy in working at a Catholic school, being a minister when someone says, cause the first thing people ask, what do you do for work? And it's like, all right, we're getting into it then. <laughs> cause that's, there's no other way to go from here. It's you like, asked, you asked. So, and it's more difficult for people who don't have jobs in the faith, but I think, and I guess the, the question that always comes is like, should you steer the conversation into it or out of it, or just kind of let it be the flow. And I re- I think we should be steering the conversation into it with people we don't know. I'm just thinking about, and I think I've mentioned it before, oh, Kevin, Kevin Hart thing, yeah. When he says, you ever meet someone who just can't stop talking about Jesus? You say, oh, good morning. They say, it is a good morning because Jesus woke us up. I love him. Do you? Yeah. And you don't have to be like that. Yeah, it definitely, <laughs> that, yeah, that would not work. But you can bleed into it. I think that and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And people will oftentimes completely reject what you have to say. And everyone always says like, 
you know, people just are so turned off to the idea. I, in my experience, more often than I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but more often than not, people are open to talking about it because they care about these things. We care about them naturally. So if you're at a bar, not necessarily at a bar, I just think it's, you know, the most common place where people talk to each other in today's society. But anywhere, you know, you're playing in an adult sports league or whatever it is, you hold each other accountable. And like, when it's a stranger, even too, it's almost need to lean more into it because you don't have the chance to, to do. It. I know that there's guys on our adult soccer team who on our own team, I've gotten into it several times with the way that they behave to the refs, to the other teams. And I don't, I'm not really invested in the relationship <laughs> where it's like, if they get mad at me, like whatever, but that's been pretty, that's been pretty fruitful. I'm in the past. There was a guy who was playing. He's not on the team anymore, but, and then we only, cause we came in later in the season and he like left. We only played like three games or two games with each other. And we, really got into it, you know, over something. And he made a comment about like, like who even are you or something like that. And, you know, immediately starts to insulting like the, the ability of the soccer and not the, the actual argument. But then, you know, we, we, I, we, we had like a very kind of brief discussion about it. And then there was a moment as the game ended where like we were, we were taking our cleats off and everything. And he just walked up and he's like, he, he didn't even say anything. It wasn't like a, like, a, I'm sorry, you're right. He just like looked at me. He like gave me one of those guy high fives where it's like the, uh, and he's just like, and I, but I could see it in his eyes. He was like, he, he was saying I was right. And he, we were moving past it and it was like, we're good, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know it, it where, cause we don't, we don't want to be cowards. We really, we really, because and the fact of the matter is, is none of us evangelize as much as we should. That's, I think that that's really important to say, because if you're saying like, oh, I'm just trying to lead with love, but. If you're never having conversations with strangers about the faith, you're not living the faith right, I would say. Yeah, if the, what should be, if the most important thing in your life never comes up, is it really the most important thing in your life? I'm thinking about, so I recently went to Boston to visit family, and so I went to a parish there, very old parish, old school priest, and my mom came with me and she said, this is the kind of priest that I'm used to, because it was like an old Italian strong in his ways saying so loud kind of a priest and his you know the guy where while he's preparing the gifts and our responses to be amen went amen he couldn't really hear it. and he stopped and put his hand up to his ear to hear us louder because he was like i need you guys participating in his homily he was talking about being confident catholics and actually he gave me an essay from his spiritual director which is somewhere around here. I want. I haven't finished going through it yet, but he Let was. Let the ta- record show. Alec is currently looking around his room. <laughs> <laughs> but he talks about what was his example? Uh, some priest, I think it was, who was saying he's so confident that the Earth was ten thousand years old that when scientists, every time they argue with me that it was created billions of years ago, I'm taking another thousand off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and not that that's seriously his position, but just the idea of be firm in your belief and don't apologize for your belief. Not that you have to force it on other people, but to be confident. And that's what he was calling for when he, he was saying, you know, as we go around and he touched on a couple political issues and things that are happening in that community. He said the world needs more confident Catholics. And I thought that was a good message. And it came so strong like you could tell that he was his beliefs were hard fought and he was passionate about it so if we really just kind of i think we're starting to wrap it up they're giving me the red signal <laughs> lead with that kindness and you know like i said right alec rightly brought up at the very beginning love is to will the good of the other so if you really want to love this person you have to will their good so it's how do you go about doing that and it's in the way i think when they say lead with kindness and lead with love we're really what's really the emphasis it's kind of fallen away from this but i think it's what it's intended is you have to lead with kindness and compassion and it's very important the way that you talk about these things using the correct words not going so strong out the gate to just be insulting to the person because people believe the things they believe for a reason yeah, you don't want to just tell them they're dumb yeah you can't just go out and say that you're dumb and like obviously i'm not saying that you people who are listening are like actually going out and saying like you're so dumb but like in so many words, you can come across saying that you don't respect them. I know plenty of people who actively avoid the faith because of a bad experience with 
a Catholic who was negative to them and they just recoiled from it. And like there is tremendous pressure that falls onto you because if you are a Catholic, you got to know your stuff. And I mean, it's okay. Like in the, in the moment to say like, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. You could ask them to exchange numbers and get back to them about it. Or you can uh, send a quick email to sinners take and we'll get, we'll get back to them, whatever it is. But to know, to, to not make a fool of yourself or like, like you said, the average person is not, is going to take, if they, if they don't know any Catholics and they don't practice the faith or even any Christians or anybody who's living the virtuous life and they see that you say that you're a self-proclaimed Christian and they see you behaving in a certain way, they're going to associate that with Christianity. They're not going to like, or if you say to them that, oh, the Catholic church, oh, they totally think abortion is okay. Or you know what? Like, don't worry. Like the church is coming around to, uh, against traditional marriage or whatever it is. They're going to take what you say at face value. Nobody who you meet at a bar who has been away from the faith or has never been a part of the faith is going to like be like, that doesn't seem right. Let me Google search that and look into what they're really saying. They're going to hold on to that for years. And they're going to say like, and they might even forget the conversation that you had, but they'll remember that memory. They'll remember, oh, Catholics don't do think abortion is okay. And they might not remember you, but they will remember that like, and honestly, and this is actually another psych- a thing we learned, we learned in psychology where like, I forget what, what the title of it is, where you remember what it was, like what the thing was, and that will grow as the memory of the person diminishes. So, and it goes for good and bad things. So for example, if someone who you don't respect said something that was like very good, you will remember that good thing more and you'll forget the person who said it to you. Or if you remember, like, for example, in this, you know, Catholics think abortion is okay one, they might see you and they'll be like, this person doesn't really know what they're talking about. So they'll remember, but they'll remember Catholics think that abortion is okay. And as they forget the interaction that they have with you at the bar, they'll hold on to that memory and they'll start to elevate it. And they'll say like, Catholics really do think that abortion is okay. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? It did make sense. Uh, So there is pressure in that regard to know our stuff and to... Take make it sure, seriously. Yeah, take it seriously. And like I said, lead with kindness, lead with love. And when the situation comes to it, talk about it. Because even with Alec, like, yes, I, we were patient with him. We never put the, any demands on him. But I never w- watered anything down. I never said, like, I, I, if I disagreed with something, I told I told him, I told you. And we, we went back and forth on some things for a, a while. But it was all the conversation was out of love and you can be, you can be sitting with somebody, you know, at a coffee shop or a bar or at a sports game or whatever. And you can have the conversation with like the, I remember the, one of the, when I was younger working at a summer camp, one of the volunteers who uh, was, you know, struggling with, was specifically struggling with the, the church's approach to uh, a same sex attraction. And they were like, they were super angry. Like they're just like, why does the church think this way? And we were sitting next to each other on, on the bus back from the beach. And I, I just stopped and I said, before we go forward with this conversation, I need you to understand that everything that the church believes is because we love them and we want what's best for them. And that right there flipped the whole conversation on its head where, and that, again, that won't even work for all people, but and, you know, it can work for some people because they never even heard it phrased that way. Put demands on people because we love them and we expect nothing but excellence, not like in a shallow way, but excellence in like a, in a spiritual way. So yeah, I think I think I want to circle back to that that line that none of us evangelize as much as we should, and if you've never talked to a stranger about the faith, like if you go a whole year without talking to anywhere, if you go a couple months without talking to a stranger about the faith, you're probably not living the faith correctly. And then the third thing that I think really stood out for me from this is make sure that you're living an attractive lifestyle. If it's your friendships, make sure you're living good friendships. Have intentional conversations with people. Because those doors will naturally open themselves up. Maybe they open and immediately shut because the person doesn't want to hear it. But the conversations will arise. Like, you know, people say like, oh, what's the, what's the part of the office where he's calling all of his, uh, Michael's calling all of his oh, yeah. former lovers and he wants has to tell them that, that he thinks he has herpes. And he's like, it didn't come up organically. <laughs> of course it didn't come up organically. Um, and people were like, I'm just waiting for the right moment. Like, keep waiting then. You know, you may, uh, or push the conversation to a deeper level, not just uh, about anything. Like I said, if you're living the faith the way you should, it should not be more than a stone's throw away to get to the faith in any aspect of your life. Work, sports, academics, it all should be right around there. Thought I'm having that I wish I would have mentioned earlier, but is that not everyone engages in this 
conversation in good faith. For example, I have, I think it's my dad's cousin who came to our house and I was leaving for mass and he was asking, oh, so how often do you eat the cracker? Mm. Antagonistic. Yeah. And so I said, what? And he said, you know, we, we have the symbol of Jesus' body and blood about once a month, but Catholics, you have the cracker and juice every week, right? And so it's, it's in that moment where, and actually uh, my dad came up and defended it, which was a wonderful thing, but to recognize when someone isn't engaging in good faith and to, like you're saying, to not be cowardly and say, we can have a discussion about this, but it doesn't seem like you are interested in having this in a proper and fruitful way where you're starting it off by insulting. We can have the conversation. I would love that, but not on these terms. Yeah. What is it? Not throwing good effort after bad. What's that phrase? I have no idea. Not throwing good money after bad money. I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And I am super dumb. I didn't bring this up earlier. Same thing. I wish I had brought this up earlier is we have, uh, we, we do apologetics with our students every day, every Thursday, uh, every day on Thursday, (laughs) on Thursdays. And the first thing I say every single time we meet for it, every day that starts with (laughs) Thurs, we, we always, every first thing I say is we are not in the business of winning arguments. We are in the business of saving souls. It's so easy, especially in today's political culture. Everything is so-and-so destroys so-and-so in news report or blah, blah, blah. Watch so-and-so annihilate blah, blah, or tears down these arguments or whatever. And it's terrible. It's not productive because, and then, and then they all, everybody spouts about like, it's all about conversation. And then it's like, all their videos are like destroys (laughs) opponent's viewpoint. Like, um, we're in the business of saving souls, not the business of winning arguments. So if you see that somebody is like trying to steer into an argument, steer away from it, back away from it, whatever it is, because like you said, is if they, if you, if they egg you on and you, you snap at them, they're going to hold on to that. And that'll be what they remember about the faith. I guess if there's anything to close with, is just be bold. Like that priest from Boston said, be confident, be well-informed spend some time to like learn these things. And then, like we said, be loving on, in every sense of the world that be kind, but will the good of the other people. We need to evangelize more than you are for sure. And if you have a specific instance that is come to mind for you, because like I said, it does come case by case. Like there's times where you shouldn't be friends with somebody. Well, I'm getting, here I go circling back, <laughs> landing the plane and fly, taking it right off. Basically like it's different for every single circumstance. And if you're having trouble navigating it, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, talk to a priest that you trust, talk to plenty of people out there, but you could always email us or reach out to us and we would love to do our best to say what we would do in the situation or point you in our be- the best direction that we know how. We're all in this together. <laughs> um, and there's a quote I've mentioned before where you are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Do your best, but remember it's not up to you. Yeah, you are no one's savior. That's all I got. All right. All right. So uh, this has been Sinners One Take, Sinners Think Tank. Uh, That's all. Sinners We Talk A Lot. We Talk A Lot and Don't Go Anywhere. One of our longest episodes that no definitive statements were made. Uh, Anyway, you will hear us in the next one. Bye. Bye.